Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Ida Bird-Hill. Ida is the founder and CEO of Automation Works Institute, a cybersecurity reskilling and diversity consulting firm in Detroit. Ida, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, hey, we appreciate amazing guests like yourself taking time out to do the podcast with us. And so Ida, we shared a little bit about who you are in the intro, but why don't you go ahead and give us the rest of your background? Sure, my background is pretty interesting, but one common thing that it has is that I, a long time ago, I made a mission that I would assist people financially. So I entered the cybersecurity space pretty much from the financial and human resources area. I started in HR a long, long time ago and then kind of moved around, became a headhunter or an executive search consulting for attorneys, financial world, um, where I spent about 12 years as a wealth management and loan officer. Um, I left that because I really wanted to help the community um, and ran a nonprofit for about 14 years, getting involved in science, technology, engineering, and arts and mathematics, which is what landed me here. Because while doing that, um, what we discovered is that a lot of the times we spend a lot of time with students and we don't really talk about or talk to their parents. And students just don't come out the blue. They, they have parents that kind of lead them where they need to be. So if you want to correct the path that a student goes on, you need to really correct it at their parent level. So we started doing a lot of parent workshops for the local school districts here. And when we did one particular workshop that turned into an event, that landed at the North American International Auto Show. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was our, the first youth event and the first Black youth event ever in the history of the North American International Auto Show. And that was called Automation Works. It was a mobile scavenger hunt where instead of just doing uh, assignments like you would do in a normal scavenger hunt, they actually did science experiments and science activities in conjunction to autos, because we were trying to teach them about the car is a multiplicity of parts. It's just not one hold. Right. And there's a lot of activity in the auto industry as it relates to parts. And so we did that, did that for three years. But then in our final year, um, in doing the survey of about 900 people that attended the event, 10 people said you should go into post-secondary training. So I brought those 10 people into my office to sit down and say, hey, will you tell me what you're thinking? And the whole, each one of them says, what happens if you have no experience in tech and you want to get into tech? So I sent them off to the community colleges. I sent them off to a couple of the programs. They said, no, because each one of them assumes you have some background in tech. Right, right. Nothing, nada. All you know is Microsoft Office. Actually, I never thought about it, right? So I listened to them, took some notes, and says, I'll get back to it later. But what really pushed us over the top is that while my kids were going through college at the same time, I didn't own a car. So I was riding the bus. And so I'm sitting on the bus, and when I'm on the bus, I write books on the bus. Because something about those reels rolling, they, they get me rolling. <laughs> 
So I have my iPad and I'm typing in the iPad and the guy sitting next to me asked me for a paper bus schedule. And so I looked at him, I said, people still use those? <laughs> and he looked at me like, what planet is she from, right? And I says, no, I haven't used one of those in, in an, almost a decade. He says, so what do you use? I said, Google Map. Now I'm on a bus line that's kind of rowdy. It, it, it's one of those double-decker buses. Um, and it's about 80 people on the bus. And as I'm talking to him about Google Maps, all of a sudden the bus gets deathly quiet, which never happens on that line. So I, I, I stood up and I said, does every, anybody else need this Google Maps lesson? And everybody raised their hand like they were in the classroom. Now, mind you, this is a rowdy bus. So I was like, okay. And I ran to the front of the bus and walked people through Google Maps and how to navigate their bus routes on them digitally rather than paper. Wow. Right, right. Smartphone. So everybody got a smartphone, not two or three. So so I said to them as I was finishing up the lesson, so I'm getting up in three stops. So if you have any questions, either speak now for hold, hold, hold your peace, because I'm getting off the bus. A couple of people in the back had questions. So I ran to the back, gave them some answers or what have you, and then ran back to the front, scooped up my bag. And as I'm on my way out the door, the bus driver says, I have never seen such a thing. And I looked at him, I said, me either, after I thought about it. So when I got off the bus, I went, I gotta do something with that <laughs> because that's my classroom right there. I wanna teach, I haven't figured out how I'm gonna do this. This is gonna be my, this is gonna make me different than everybody else. But I didn't do it on the bus because the bus doesn't really have internet, but I did the next best thing, I went to the public library. And so we went to four branches of the Detroit Public Library and open up automation. It's called Automation Works For You because it was part of our nonprofit. And every one of the branches was right in front of a bus stop. So the people can get off the bus stop during the designated times, run into the building, deal with one of our instructors, get some instructions, get back to the bus stop and get on the bus and keep it moving. So that's how we started. So Ida, I'm actually pretty speechless. <laughs> that That has to be one of the best, most practical background stories I've ever heard, right? So, and let's just keep it a buck. You, you were on the bus and someone asked you, hey, do you have a map of the bus route or the transit system? And you said, no, I just use Google Maps. And then from there, you basically put on while on the bus, a masterclass mm-hmm. on how to navigate throughout your day mm-hmm. without having to pull paper or stop and ask someone. You use the technology that was available, which is, like you said, everyone has a smartphone. And then you took as many people as you could or as many that you know wanted to engage with you. You took them through the process of how to navigate. Right. And then. You get off the bus. Obviously, I don't need to retell your story because you just told it. But I'm thinking to myself, wow, how many times are we in a situation where we think there's nothing to be done or that there's nothing that can be done? But if we step back, we can see whether on a bus, a college campus, in our community, there, there is something that can be done. All the time. But what happens, we, we do judging. See, I have to tell somebody that one of the things that I, because I've been riding a bus for a long time, and one of the things that I would say if I was in politics, I would always hold my town halls on the bus because you got a captive audience. 
And I, we've talked politics on the bus. We've talked relationships. We've talked, you know, money. I mean, which is all type of conversations happen on the bus because you have a captive audience and people are either in their phone or they don't really know what to do. But I treat people because first of all, I don't look like I'm alone on the bus. I just don't. And when I, I dress the same way I do now when I walk on the bus. So when I get on the bus, I already look different to everybody else. But I'm the same because we all ride the bus. So that if it, it intrigues people. Why are you on the bus? And I will always start with my kids are in school. I'm spending a half a million dollars on college. I can't afford a car. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> I got to get them to college. So the car had to go. The car, the car payment and the insurance was their allowance at college. So they got the allowance and I rode the bus. It's all right. It didn't bother me, but it bothered everybody around me, including people on the bus, because they want to know why you're on the bus. I'm trying to get from point A to point B, just like you are. The difference is, is that when I'm sitting on the bus, to me, because it is dead time, it's productive time. Right. So I've written eight books, all of them on the bus. Absolutely. And so so my thing is, wherever you are, you live where you are and you work it where you can. So for me, and I have to tell you, I got two books that's in the works. And because I'm not riding on the bus, I just can't get my head in the game. <laughs> so you're not in your environment. <laughs> you're just not there. And that's because you don't have many people. You just don't have things going on around you. So I could sit and watch the environment and I could type on my iPad, you know, talk to people periodically. But it's something about the rolling up the, of the, on the bus. And I had to laugh because I said that at some workshop. And then I got a call from Amtrak because they actually have an author series that's on Amtrak because I was not the only one. Oh, really? Interesting. OK. And right. So I went on the Amtrak series and to see like 100 plus authors who are doing the same thing as I am. They're writing and writing just blew me out. So I realized I'm not, it wasn't so unique because a whole bunch of other people do the same thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, and they have a whole series, they have a whole author series where people can do that. I, my thing is wherever you are, you, you move from where you are. But what happens, we always are waiting for better. And my thing is that better is where you are. Um, sometimes, you know, you get placed, God places you in a place in your life because he wants to affect change. And maybe you're the person who's going to affect the chain. And but a lot of times we don't realize that. People go, what do you mean? To me, riding on a bus, some of the bus drivers treat the riders crappy. And I, I've had to have some conversations with a couple of bus drivers about their arrogant attitude. And, and they would make some comment about you're on the bus. I said, Yeah, but I'm paying a half a million dollars to educate my children. Even sitting on this bus, I make more than you do sitting on the bus. Well then. And I said, and you're chauffeuring me around town. They go, what do you mean? Just what I said. While you're driving, I'm writing and doing work. So technically, you are my chauffeur. So let's don't get this twisted. You're not better than the people on this bus. Then, because you don't get to know some of the people on the bus, people have stories. Like there's a lady on one of the lines. The lady worked at the UN. She spoke five languages. Oh, wow. She's 83 years old. Don't need to be driving. She need to be on the bus. But if you didn't ever spoke to her, you wouldn't have known her history. You wouldn't have known her life. And she's an African-American lady. So to work in, in, in the U.N., like 30 years to retire from the U.N., she was way ahead of her time. Absolutely. So whenever she gets on the bus, I'm like the little kid. I sit at her pool. I put up my iPad and I listen to her the whole route because I'm learning from her because she got stories to tell that can teach you. But I said, how many other people missed that lesson? Because you judged her and you didn't need to find out what her background was to find out why she's on the bus. Now I have to laugh, she's 83 years old and don't look a day over 63. 
So that means she lived a really good life. Right. And she made a judgment because she was on the bus. Bad, bad move. And we do that all the time. So we don't get the opportunity to learn from people because we judge based on certain scenarios. And my thing is you can't really, you shouldn't judge. You should be there to figure out why am I here and what am I supposed to bring to the table while I'm here? Now I have to tell people the same time I was riding on this bus, I had a major event at the North American International Auto Show. That event alone cost me $100,000. So I could have bought a car. I could have, but I wanted to go into the event. So I was spending $100,000 on an event while I am riding on a bus. Priorities. And, and that's, the, that's the key word, priorities. Wow. I, and, we, and we haven't even really gotten started. Um, this is, uh, I like where this is going. All right. So Ida, let me ask you, what would you say has you most excited about your daily work? The people. I, I love people and watching them go through an aha moment. One of the things I think that makes us unique is now that we just teach cybersecurity and we do diversity consulting. One day I'm going to really be this motivational speaker because that's what I do all day. I motivate people to see their own aha moment to get them to the next level. And that excites me because when one person does it, that means the community gets better. And every time another person get their aha moment and they are able to move their life, I just see that the community growing and that gets me excited. So to me, it's one person at a time, but now in a group. And that's what I do all day. And I have fun at it. It's not really work for me. Oh, I can't remember who who said it, but maybe some motivational speaker or an author. But they they have a quote that says, if you are having fun at what you're doing, then you'll never work a day in your life. And that that sounds exactly like what you just described. You and I'm having are, fun all day. Right. And that's and that's that's because you are in your zone of influence. You're doing your passion. Exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. So Ida, the the folks that you serve, um, call them clients, what have you, you know, what are the major issues that they're facing when they come to Ida and her organization? And I actually have two sets of clients. I serve individuals and those individuals, you tell you, most of them want to get into the tech world because they know that's where the money is. They just don't know how to get in. And so our job is to, first of all, work between the two ears, the brain, to, to refocus their antenna so that when they get in, that they're successful because they have a lot of challenges. As a woman, as an African-American, they have challenges. You have challenges getting prepared to go into the industry. You have challenges in the industry. So my job is to get them prepared. So those are my clients. And so I have any, I have a set of group that comes from workforce development and literally they're coming from other careers where they got laid off. Then I have a second set of, that are mainly, I call it individuals who got a bachelor's but in liberal arts and realize that it's just not working for them. And now they're making a career, a career change or a career upgrade. So those are my individual clients. But then in June of 2020, I, I, I served corporate clients because after the George Floyd scenario and protest, I got so mad. Well, I don't just take my anger and just throw it out there. I use it for something. So I said, you know, many, many years ago when I was a headhunter, executive search consultant, I did something called a diversity culture audit to diversify corporate legal departments. Um, hadn't used to because that practice is somewhat draining for me back then. But I'm a, a whole different person. I whipped out the tool and picked up three new clients. And those are corporate clients. 
And pretty much I go in and I tell them like it is, but I don't just tell them. I actually do an audit of their systems. I do an interview of their executives. And if they have bias, I just tell them, this is where your bias sits. And here are recommendations for us to remove it. And then they have the choice to either use us to remove it, which we heavily lean on them to do so. Um, and then we go for it to remove where their bias positions are. Now that practice to me is going to be earth changing um, because all I need is a really big client to move with them so people see that it does work because it does work. Um, the one client, the, the, the biggest client we have now is a $200 million soap company in California and they're hiring diverse people where they had none. And to me, every time they hire one, it's like cha-ching, ching, we had a win. Um, they're made some, some promotions of a couple of people of color that they had already, cha-ching, ching, that's a win. You know, so that practice excites me because it allows me to be able to move people in, in larger swaths than an individual. And then, of course, we do the training. So we had those two practices and, and those challenges that they lack diversity. And sometimes they lack diversity because they don't know where to look. That's a lot of the times. But oftentimes they lack diversity because they have some biases that need to be rooted out. And unfortunately, you have to tell them like it is. And, and I say to people, when I do that assignment, I have to chuckle. I, I get fired all the time. <laughs> and I told them, if I'm with a company and they don't fire me three times, that means I didn't do my job because I know I'm going to be fired because I'm going to say some things that's going to piss off the CEO and they will fire me. And so this one particular CEO, when he fired me, the third time, I just smiled, just like we're on Zoom. He says, you're not coming back. And I just smiled. And I'm thinking to myself, he says that, but he, he doesn't realize that every time he fires me, I come back with a bigger contract. You know why? Because I did my job. I, I said something that hit such a nerve. It hit a nerve that the only response you could have is says, you're fired. I get it. But that, that nerve needed to be hit. So I'm the woman to do it. And so I do. And so that practice has been growing like a weed. Um, probably not as fast as I really wanted to grow because I think it should hit every major corporation in, in America. Every corporation in America should have a diversity culture audit. We should look at every HR department, every piece of operation, because they have some policies and things going on that are clearly biased against people of color and women. And nobody is, is willing to tell a CEO the truth and live. And I, I, I can do that with a smile. Say, so, Heidi, you're built for that task, right? Yeah, I am. I am. Oh, that's good stuff. So, and you, you've really already started touching on this, but I want to give you a chance to share anything else as far as, you know, how is your firm helping your clients deal with these major issues? We're honest with people. I, I think the best way you can help anybody is to be honest with them, but to do it in love. I mean, you could be honest with somebody, tell them the truth, tell it like it is and not be mean. And sometimes we're mean when we say things. And so it's not received very well. And I had to learn that lesson myself because I'm pretty blunt. And But I've learned that if you, you tell people with love, they tend to receive it, especially if they know that you really love them and you're looking out for their best interest. And so that's, that's what I do all day. And so for me, I train for the cybersecurity. I said that to me is the easy part. It's getting between the two ears of people's brain space to have them motivated to make a change. And whether it's an individual change or whether it's a corporate change, it's still a change. And people hate change. And so my job is to get in between those ears and say, I get it, you hate change. But let, let me help you because the change is going to be good for you. It may not feel good right now. I get it. But let's focus on the vision at the end of the road. 
And I keep them focused on that vision continually. So both from the individual perspective and a corporate perspective, my job is to, to help them develop the vision and keep them focused on it so they can get through the pain. I like it. I like it. Ida, let's pause for just one quick second here. Ida, thank you so much for um, that last answer. I, I love your honesty and candor. Um, let me ask you this. For the young folks that are coming to you or the young people that are listening, you know, what advice do you have for them when they are looking at a career in cybersecurity? Um, the first thing, so cybersecurity is a very interesting world because we are living through things we have never lived through ever. I mean, it's, just, it's just like being in the wild, wild west right now. Um, and to be flexible. Um, one of the things that we do when we look for, for our students, because they're mainly ages 25 to 45, they're people who have good problem solving skills. Because my thing is the tech is, is gonna change. It's changing daily. I mean, just things are happening. New stuff is popping off, cyber attacks, we gotta do things different. And being able to look at situations and say, okay, we got a problem, how do I fix that? Because you may not have any precedent. I mean, the Colonial Pipeline, there's no precedent. First time ever, first time ever. Um, and so when you're having first time evers, you gotta be able to move based on the foundation that you, you receive and to get a strong foundation because you never know what you're gonna see. And so we, we spoke focus on in our program is giving people a really strong networking foundation because you just don't know what you're going to see. But if you have a foundation, you know how to move and solve those problems and do it very quickly. Because what we find is everybody wants to jump right in and solve a, a cyber attack and they have no networking foundation. And I say, how can you protect a network when you don't even know how to build one? That's a problem. That is a problem. And so I find a lot of people are in the cybersecurity industry, which is why we're having so many attacks and they're being successful. They have no network foundation. So you cannot uh, protect something. You don't know how it's built. The fundamentals, Ida. Absolutely. The fundamentals. And actually, I learned that from um, Kobe Bryant and Denzel Washington. They always say, go back to the fundamentals. Yeah, you gotta, you've got to do that work. You can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's cybersecurity, podcasting. One of the things that we take pride in here doing this podcast is we put out an episode a week and we've done that for the last two years straight. Oh, that's great. Stay with you know, yeah. and it's, you know, and so we, we do that because we know that that cadence understanding of, Hey, people are looking for this information. Ida, I have no idea who in the world is going to need to hear this, but someone will hear it and they will take it and it will change their life. And that's just a fact. Right? And that's what you're hoping. I mean, that, when I look at the analytics for our podcast, I mean, people are downloading this podcast in places in the world that I've never been to, right? But what it says is there is something in that episode that was meant for the person that's downloading it. And so that's where I know something amazing is going to happen, right? They will, they will hear from Ida Bird Hill in Detroit and they will hear the amazing things that you've shared and they will go and do likewise in their neck of the woods, in their part of the world, right? And, and that's why we do what we do. It's to make a difference, right? Our ministry, I, I like that, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, it is a ministry, um, you know, 
To whom much has been given, much is required. And, and I believe that. I do. I really do. I live by that. Yeah. And you, and you, and you have to show up every day. I had to, just like you, you know, show up and, you know, you're on the bus doing what you do, going where you need to go, moving in and out of different opportunities. I mean, that doesn't happen if you don't show up. And, that, and, and not only to show up, but show up to be ready. Because I think a lot of times people show up and they think that's what gets them where they need to be. But I, I just believe that luck is where opportunity meets preparation. And there's lots of opportunities. The problem is we don't see them because they come dressed as work. That was from Thomas Edison, by the way. Um, that wasn't Ida's quote. But they show up as work. Now, I'm sitting on a bus. Most people, I mean, my, most of my friends, that just that irritated them. But the thing is, is that I ran a nonprofit for 14 years that dealt with people who were at the bottom of society. So I looked at riding on a bus was research for me. I got to learn about my clientele. There's some things that I forgot when I left the hood, but it brought me back to remembrance. Um, it gave me an opportunity to talk to them. And so I can walk anywhere in the city of Detroit. Half the time I don't know the people, they're hugging and kissing. I don't, these days I don't let them kiss me, but um, they know me, I don't know them. I know them by face because I've seen them on the bus. But the point is I you give a kind word and you keep it moving. But sometimes that's all people need. But we forget that, that we're here to have an impact on other people. Yes, it's wonderful to have a great car. It's great to have a nice house, a couple of them, be able to travel all over the world. But if you didn't impact anybody when you left, your funeral and your life was really in vain because that's what matters at the end of the day. So, and I had to laugh because I was walking with a friend at night, actually part of downtown Detroit, and the person came over and said, hey, and they, and they went to hug me, you know, being a man, kind of stands in between. And so, as we left the person, he goes, does that happen a lot? I said, a lot. That's because I gave a kind word when they needed it most. Because a lot of times when you're at the bottom of society, no one talks kindly to you. And that's bad. Because at the top of the chain, we have the power to change a lot of things, and we don't because we forget how we got here and we didn't get here by ourselves. No, no man is an island. Um, I, I wish they would take that whole um, term, you know, self-made and, and, and do something with it, blow it up, put it off to the side, because there's no such thing as a self-made person. Anyone that describes himself as a self-made person, well, Let's dig into that a little bit. You're a self-made millionaire in what business? We're a self-made, I'm a self-made millionaire in technology. Okay. We had customers. That's not self-made. You had um, customer support. You had HR, right? You had to, I mean, so, so that, that whole notion of I did it myself, right? It, it's, it sounds great. Um, you know, it'll, it'll get you some press. You know, it'll show up on someone's newswire. But the truth is, Ida, you had help. There are tens or hundreds of people behind you throughout the course of your existence that have helped you get to the point where you are. And I'm going to take a step, in, a step further. You should always have a team. Always. I mean, one of the things that I, I preach in our class, and I know it gets on my students' nerves, is that you should have a team of mentors, advisors, and sponsors. Don't do anything, not a thing, without a team. Even if you go in as an individual employee, you should have a team inside and outside of your corporation, because that's what makes you. And I'll give you a good example of that. When I got to the auto show, I didn't get there by myself. 
I actually had done an event at a, a, a robotics company called Kamau. They're out of Italy. They belong to Fiat Chrysler, which is now Stellantis. And I actually picked them up before Fiat Chrysler had came. Fiat came to America because they've been here for 25 years prior. And so they make all the robotics for Ford Chrysler plants. And so we had a, 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 an event at their innovation center because they got this huge robot called Brick that could weld a car in 100 places simultaneously. Oh, wow. And when they talked about it, I wanted to see this brick, right? So when I went over to see the brick, I went, this is awesome, right? Can I have an event here? And they were like, sure, because they want people to see what a factory looks like. You don't really see what it looks like today. So I had an event there, and the event turned out so well. I had like 70 volunteers and then had, you know, people on the next day. But the thing that was so earth-shattering about this event I'm an African-American woman who's in Oakland County, which is one of the fourth richest counties in the country. And this event was really white. Now that just through the executive that come out, he just couldn't believe that. He went, what happened? And then they were treating me like a rock star. So at the end of the event, we had like a, like a, one of those backdrops and the volunteers wanted to take a picture with me. The, the, the people who came to the event wanted to take a picture with me. So afterwards he goes, where are we going next? I lied. I said the auto show. I don't know nobody at the auto show. <laughs> but he had me on the spot in front of these people that looked at me as a rock star. So I didn't say something that sounded good. But then it was on a Saturday and I said, on Monday morning, I got to call over to the auto show in case, because he's an auto executive, in case he calls, I'm not looking like a fool, right? <laughs> so I called over to the auto show on, on that Monday and they actually picked up my call and got me in that week, which I thought was shocking. Um, and so when they, I thought, because it was October 2014, and it takes a year to plan for those type of shows, that we would go January 2016, that's when the show happens. And they were like, no. So I said, 2017? They were like, no. I said, so when? They said, we were thinking January 2015. And I almost passed out my chair. Because that's three months. And I got a fundraise. So they just, you got to put on the show. You got to raise the money. You got to get sponsors. You got to do all of that before you get there to pay for the show. And so I was like... I don't think I could do that. They went, well, Martin thinks you can. That's my executive. He had called over ahead of me. So I'm thinking, I called over at nine o'clock on a Monday. What time did he call over? It hadn't been before nine, which is why they were so receptive to me. So that's my sponsor. So when the event actually happened, he actually won Automotive News Executive of the Year because he's responsible for that Ford 150 electric truck. Okay. Brought him over here from Jaguar. To make that happen. And, and so he's getting his awards and, you know, got all the press going around the awards. But what I didn't know is that he had taken my event and put it on Kamal's website. Wow. Which is hefty. Now, I was already gracious to Kamal because they had given me use of their robot because I didn't realize that each robot company has a color and that color defines their robot. And I had a KUKA robot in my logo for this event. And when they came on board as a sponsor, they went, that robot got to go. And I says, well, I got to do something. You guys got a robot to replace it? They said, let's call over to Italy and see if they'll give us permission to use one of our robots. And they did. So they plopped the robot into the middle of my logo, which never happened. An international company gave a little black nonprofit use of their logo. Then I was visiting with them and they were doing continuing ed for their engineers. And they were showing them how to use this new welding robot. And I said, can I get a piece of that robot? They said, for what? I'm going to take it to the auto show. They went, oh, no, Italy may not let you do that. I said, not only do I want a piece, 
I want a piece of the, the, the programming so that the kids can learn how to operate the robot at the show. And so the executive says, I don't think I'm going to ask. I said, well, can I ask? He went, sure. Knowing that I was going to say no, they were going to say no. So I sent the note over to the, the CEO over in Italy and said, this is what I would like to do. Can I have permission? He went, absolutely. And we'll pay for the shipping because this is a 5,000 pound robot that has to be moved. It took $15,000 moving downtown. So they paid for the shipping to get it there. And it was there a week prior to the, the show started. So they got good press from the industry because everybody was sitting on the robot, children and executives alike. Because how often do you get to see a robot like that? Right, person? right, right. You know, so so it, it, it was just exciting. And then when they allowed us to be able to use a part of the programming on an iPad so the kids can move the arm of the robot and see how that works, shoot, that was revolutionary. So I tell people that was my sponsor. He was my sponsor. But then he took it a whole nother step of the way. He had a whole programming team that helped me put it on because that's the only way we were able to move it. And then on the day that he received his award from Automotive News, he goes and says, I got two nonprofits that make my day every day. It reminds me why I do what I do. The first one was First Robotics, which everybody expected because they're a robotic company. And the second one was Uplift Inc. in this Automation Works event. Well, they didn't know who I was. So all of a sudden, I splashed into the automotive world because of my sponsor. That was cool. Then I filmed him for the whole event because he just as excited as I am about the event because we went from having 50 people from a pilot to now we're up to 250 kids. And most of those kids are African-American and they come in and they're just so excited about the event. He's excited. The sponsors are excited because it's the first time it has ever happened. And it was like a blast of an event. And so he did them films, how you felt about the event that I used to get sponsors for the next year. So we doubled each year. We went up double. So we went from a 50 person event to a thousand person event in three years. One of the biggest auto shows in the world. That's big to be. And then to be on the official rotation of the auto show, because you can have events at the auto show. But they don't do no, they don't do the advertising or PR for you. They don't put you in the book or what have you. They put us in the book. So we were officially an auto show event. So when people would call over to the auto show, they were redirected right to us because they 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 bought into it, they paid money to make it happen. And, and by the way, they gave me space for free, which I say was was key because the week before that space, Delta Airlines sits in that space. And they're paying a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand for that space, mm. they and they give me the space for a week for free. That to me was hefty. I couldn't have paid for that. Right. So I spent a hundred thousand, but it would have been two hundred thousand had I had to pay for the space. So, so for us, it was a big event. It had a big splash. I had people coming from ten counties so that they can experience the auto show who may not have never experienced the auto show, and it was a big deal. And that happened because of a sponsor. So everybody needs a team. You don't have mentors, you don't have advisors, you don't have a sponsor. That's a dumb way to do something. And I tell them my people all the time, you gotta have a team. You are not solo. There's no such thing as self-made. That's right. That is exactly right. And that's a that's a phenomenal story. Uh, a, a wonderful example of that. All right, so Ida, I wanna ask, I mean, since we're talking about having a team, having people that you know are willing to help us, people that are willing to, um, speak into our lives or help us get to that next level. I want to ask you about a teacher, you know, what teacher at any level, 
um, has had the most impact on you? The, the teacher that had the most impact on me ever was a guy by the name of Ted Law. And he was my high school chemistry and programming teacher. And I have to laugh because Ted is Korean and he was teaching in a black school district, which is just kind of rare. You know what I mean? And he was just my favorite teacher. But I'm going to tell you why he was my favorite teacher. When I met Ted, I lived in a housing project and had a very high IQ. And people really didn't want to be bothered with me because I was just too smart. I've never heard of that before. But Ted would take me everywhere because he was a member of Mensa and he would drag me to these Mensa meetings. So I got exposed to a whole bunch of stuff very early on because he would drag me everywhere. And I remember the one particular meeting, the first meeting I went to, everybody was so surprised I was there. And I remember when he introduced me, this is Ida Bird. He says, this is the smartest student I have ever met. And she should be in Mensa now because her IQ is way over our threshold. So mm. you've seen her quite often. And then he went on to say, and for those who are looking and says, yeah, right. Yes, there are some highly intelligent people in inner city schools. And so that's how he introduced me to Mensa. And so that was just revolutionary to me. So I went to the Mensa meeting every, every month, learned a lot from those people because they're so brilliant. The second thing he did, because he was my chemistry teacher, they had a chemistry club and the chemistry club traveled everywhere. So while I'm sitting in the hood, I'm traveling. So I went to Chicago three or four times by the time I graduated from high school. I was at Mackinac Island. I had been to Toronto a couple of times. I went to go see Shakespeare in London, Ontario. I've been just a, a, quite a few places because of Ted. But I'm going to tell you, the one time I didn't have money to go to Toronto. I sold candy and got enough to pay for the trip, and I didn't have any cash. So I said to Ted, I'm not going to be able to go. And he says, why is that? I said, because I don't have any spending cash. And Ted says, oh, don't worry about that. Just get on this bus and there was an extra train and we'll take care of it. Well, I'm worried about it. So he said, okay, you sold enough candy <laughs> that we could easily give you $300 in cash. So don't worry about it. We got you. That was earth shattering to me. But what I realized is not only was I a techie, I'm a salesperson because I sold a lot of stuff for trips and I oversold because I would knock on doors back then you could knock on doors. And then people would buy because I was a smart kid in the neighborhood and whatever I was selling, they were going to buy. So that was earth shattering to me. But it's what he did next that changed my life. My school didn't have programming. So Ted took it upon himself that he was going to teach four of us, Fortran, COBOL, and BASIC. Now, the rest of the school district told Ted he was crazy. So we did this after school. And we were dedicated after school every day. That was our lesson. And I learned... Fortran, COBOL, and BASIC. Well, what I didn't know is that when they started to automate banking, when I came into banking, the language of choice was COBOL, mm. which I already had experience in because I've been in this class for a couple of years, right? So when they said we're going to automate checking, I raised my hand and went, you don't have any background. But then when they started seeing that I understood COBOL, I got promoted every six months because they were starting to automate everything, which is how we got to the name Automation Works. Then I left there and went into Domino's and one of their subsidiaries, and I automated everything there. Took everything from manual paper to automation, everything. Um, and so every place I've been, I've automated it. But that became because of Ted Law and knowing how to use COBOL. So for me, automation works. I still think that it works for anybody who embraces it. So I tell people, don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Yes, is it something new? 
everything's going to be new in an automated world. But that's the whole beauty of it, because you want to be at the head of the curve and not at the back of the curve. Because when you're at the head of the curve, good things come to you. But when you're at the back of the curve, things happen to you. You're on the menu. That's right. And, and shout out to Ted Law. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great example of someone who was not just a, a teacher, but um, an advocate. Yes. Right. And, and I think that's an aspect of the role of a teacher that sometimes gets lost. You know, they're not just there as the instructor, you know, but in many cases, they are also there advocating on behalf of the child, um, much like Ted Law did for you. And so, um, again, shout out to, to Mr. Law. All right. So, Ida, I want to jump in the time machine with you. Um, we're going to go back to 18-year-old Ida Bird. And I want to know, what advice is the Ida of today going to give her 18-year-old self? Every day is a learning curve, and you can learn from anybody. But don't reinvent the wheel. There are some lessons that you don't need to learn. Learn from somebody else. You don't need to go through the school of hard knocks. Um, the second thing that I tell people, because I'm a reader, I think that when people, you read somebody's book, you got 20 years of their life history in a book. Why go through that headache yourself? That's dumb. But I see a lot of young people who do that, and it makes no sense to me. Um, because my thing is, people have lived before you. Learn from them. Don't think that you, you know everything, because you don't, because you haven't lived the 20 years that they lived. And so I always leaned on older people and I always gleaned their information because they have lived a life. No sense to me reliving their life. Let me go do a new thing. If I'm gonna go through a school of hard knocks, it's gonna be a new one. It's not gonna be an old one. And to me, some things are old ones. Like I give a good example. An older lady said to me, if you can't live off of $500 a month, you can't live off of 5,000. I go, what do you mean? She says, it's called budgeting. And the same budget habits you have at 500, you're going to have them at 5,000 a month, 50,000 a month, 500,000 a month. So you have to get your budget under control. Now that lady has never been more than a nanny, but she saved 50 cents out of every dollar she has ever earned. So she has lived a good life in her old age because she understood the principle of budgeting. Right. Why should I have to go to that school of hard knock when I can learn that from her? And I did because I stayed in her house as a boarder, and that's how I learned it. You know, so my thing is older people bring a lot to the table, but a lot of times we, we dismiss them. And my thing is, no, you should lay at their feet and gleam all their wisdom, and then you go off and do something new. Now, my great-grandmother said something to me that has stuck with me for my whole life. She said, Black people are slow to go into technology. She said that she had been 93 years old at the time. She said she didn't watch a lot of things change, and the one thing she knows for sure, that we're always behind the eight ball. And she said to me, at 19 years of age, don't let that be you. You be at the front. You drive change. You don't like it, you change it. You don't understand it, you go learn it, and you drive it. And so I have been a driver my entire life because of that advice. And she didn't have more than third grade education, but she's lived long enough to see all type of technology come into play and to see that black people were always 10 to 20 years behind the technology. And she says, don't be behind it. You be in front of it and you make it. Now, I did let uh, some people at the University of Michigan talk me out of going into programming, but I landed in the next best thing, economics, which to me, they should have never let me go there because now that I understand how money works and how it applies to technology, that makes you very clearly dangerous. 
Um, they didn't know that at the time. Thank you, University of Michigan, uh, for doing that. So, so my thing is learn from older people. Take the time to sit and talk to them. See where they're coming from. They may give you suggestions you didn't think about. Um, the last thing that I would say is that you, in life is a team. You go find you a mastermind team. And at every part of your life, beyond your sponsors, your mentors and advisors, you become like the people you hang around. So if you want to hang around turkeys, that's what you're going to become. You want to be wealthy, you hang around wealthy people. And you have to find out where those places are, where research comes in, and that's what you become. And so a lot of times we don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. You want to be a criminal, you hang around criminals. And even if you're not criminal, you tend to end up in trouble like them because birds of a feather do flock together, period. And, and, and we have a hard time grasping that. The last thing I would say to people, don't spend all your money on crap. We spend a lot of our money trying to be rich rather than to actually be rich. We look rich, but we're not rich. And I'll give you a good example. And this is something that I learned in college. When they got their financial aid payments, a lot of women will go out and buy these fancy purses. And I remember one time it says, why you don't do that? I said, because if I can't carry 10 times the amount of the purse in the purse, why do I have it? They go, what do you mean? You're buying a coach purse for three hundred dollars but can you carry three thousand dollars at all times with you if you can't you can't afford the purse so until i can afford to do at least 10 times what i paid for it i'm not buying it so i look at it i see a lot of people walking around with louis vuitton purses they cost 17 and two thousand dollars but you don't have twenty thousand dollars anywhere in all your assets that makes no sense to me at all so my thing is if you're going to be rich be rich. Figure out how you're going to make the money to be rich, but do not pretend to look rich because you looking rich fools nobody but yourself because we all know you're not. We can tell by your conversation. We can tell by the things that you do. We can tell by the people that you're around what status of life you're in. And so I say to people, stop trying to look rich and actually be rich. And part of that comes with with learning how to make new ideas and turn them into money. And that's where all of your time and energy should be spent. So if I had to tell myself that again, that's what I would say. Spend your time on those five issues. And if you do those five things, life will take care of you. Oh, Ida, that is a perfect capstone to everything that has been shared. And so, Ida, we've come to the time where we need to end the podcast. But before we do, where can people get a hold of you? What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? They can go to our website, which is autoworks.org, and that's spelled A-U-T-O-W-O-R-K-Z.org. Um, that's our website where we where we house our platform, where we have our missions. You can reach us there. We do respond to the contact page, unlike a lot of other pages. So if you send us a note, we respond right away. Okay, great. And so, Ida, with that, I can't thank you enough. This has been such a great episode, such just practical life wisdom. Man, this is so good. And so I just really appreciate you being on with us. And thank you for having me, because I always say that when people give you the opportunity to speak your truth, that's a grand thing. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so with that, thank you, Tech and Main Presents family, as always. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, and thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.